One of the programs that I enjoy watching is Ray Mears Survival Guide. I find it fascinating how one man knows so much about nature and how to survive in nature. I know that if I was stuck out in the middle of nowhere, I would probably just die. I wouldn't know what I could eat. I wouldn't know how to protect myself. I wouldn't know how to build a, a shelter to survive overnight. And yet you watch Ray Mears and he builds himself a, a self a shelter for the night. He gets a fire going. He cuts into a tree, he drains the sap. And in the morning, he's got this healthy drink. And then he plugs the hole up again. And the tree is as good as new. And it's fascinating, especially for a townie like me, because it seems that everything we need to survive is actually out there. We just need to know where to look for it and what to do with it. The key is all about being prepared. And the Christian life is actually a lot like that. As followers of Jesus, we will face all kinds of, of obstacles and challenges. But if we're ready for them, if we're geared up for the path ahead, if we're prepared, then we can navigate the way through life so much better. Now, Timothy was a young man, a young church leader living in a town called Ephesus in the first century AD in what is now Western Turkey. And the man that had led him to faith in Jesus was Paul, the Apostle Paul. But Paul was now in prison in Rome, chained up, waiting uh, for execution, he thought, or it seemed. So Timothy was very much on his own. Some of the other Christians and church leaders around him had turned their back on Jesus and turned their back on Paul. And Timothy was facing a huge challenge. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him to prepare for life. And in today's passage, Paul gives Timothy five ways to prepare for the challenges of life ahead of him. He gives him a package of information necessary for following Jesus in what is and was a hostile world. So let's read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. That's the passage that we're going to look at today. So let's read together. I'm going to read it for you and the verses will be up on the screen for you. And this is what Paul says. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So as Paul writes to Timothy, his spiritual son, he says, you then, my son, be strong. Timothy was on his own. He was facing all sorts of problems and opposition and isolation, and he simply couldn't afford to be weak. He needed to be strong. We need to be strong when we face challenges, because if we're not strong, then we'll just buckle under the pressure might be a boss that bullies us. It might be kids who won't sleep at night. It might be children who go off the rails. It might be mortgages or bills that we just can't pay. The relationships that sadly go wrong and fail. And when pressure like that comes into our lives, then we need the strength to face it. Otherwise, we will collapse. The problem is that if you're like me, then you probably don't always feel very strong. In fact, you might feel really, really weak as you're confronted with the challenges that life throws at you. Well, the good news is that the strength that we need isn't our own. If it was down to our strength, we'd be sunk, but it's not. We have another source of strength to rely on. There's strength available to us from someone other than ourselves, and it comes from God. The strength is from God. Paul says, you then, my son, be strong 
in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not our strength that we need to rely upon. It's not our cleverness or our abilities that are important. It's the strength that Jesus gives us. When we rely upon our own strengths, then the reality is that we're not relying upon God. And that's a really dangerous place to put ourselves in. When we're really aware of our own weakness and our lack of strength, that's when God can really use us and help us. The Apostle Paul experienced this when he was struggling with some kind of illness or problem. We don't know exactly what it was. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. And he, he pleaded with God to take it away. But God didn't. And this is what Paul writes about this. But he, that's God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, says Paul, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. When we're at our lowest point, humanly speaking, it's often then that we're most willing to turn to God for help. And it's God's strength that we need in those moments. God does his best work when his power inhabits the places in our lives where we acknowledge our limits, our inabilities and our true need of him. We need to rely on Jesus and not our own strength. Write that on your outline. You should have an outline with you if it's been sent out. And if you want to make use of that, then uh, we'll be working through that this morning as I speak. We need to rely on Jesus and not our own strength. So tempting to rely on our own strengths, but that's a recipe for disaster. We need to rely on the strength that Jesus brings. So often as Christians, the last person that we turn to for help is God. We're proud and we think we can do it on our own. But God wants us to be humble and seek his help and seek his strength. The reality is that we need to express to God our reliance upon him every day, every minute of every day. We need to acknowledge our need of him and our own weakness. Because when we're prepared to humble ourselves in that way, then the power of the Holy Spirit can really get going in our lives. And that's why Paul encourages Timothy to be strong, but to be strong, not in himself, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's about relying on the strength that God in his grace gives to us. And that's true of everyday life. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. The strength that's available to us to give us that great endurance and patience as we face life's challenges is the glorious, mighty power of God. And as we seek to serve God in the different settings we find ourselves in, and we will often feel overwhelmed and ill-equipped for the task, I certainly do as a church leader. Then we're reminded of these words of Paul, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We're not on our own. God is with us. And if we humble ourselves and ask him, then he will give us the strength that we need to deal with and handle the challenges that we face in life. Paul then gives Timothy five ways in which he needs to be prepared for the future. Paul wants him to be prepared, knowing that his strength is coming from God. And the first of these ways is about ensuring that the churches Timothy was leading were prepared. And the remaining four were about ensuring that he was prepared personally in his own personal life for the challenges that he would face. Timothy and the church in Ephesus were facing the challenge, as churches throughout church history have done, of false teachers who were trying to undermine the truth of the Bible. And so Paul wanted Timothy to identify and invest in godly and gifted men who could help him to teach others teach others the truth 
Timothy could only do so much Bible teaching. He was only one man with a limited capacity. So it was important that to share the load. And it was important to invest in the future so that if and when anything happened to Timothy, there were other men to carry on this work and to in turn teach others who in turn would teach others and so on. So Paul says in verse two, and the things that you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. One of the ways to prepare for the challenges ahead was for Timothy to identify and invest in godly and gifted men who could then teach others. And that's something that we're always trying to do here at Regent, to identify and invest in people who are reliable, qualified and suitable. In other words, godly and gifted. It's really important right now that it's not all down to one person or even just to a few people. And it's really important for the future that others are invested in and are trained to enable Regent to grow and develop. When I was 15, I was in a fairly small church and I was the only person under 50. And one of the elders started a Bible class with me. It was just him and me, pretty intense. And we went through Romans verse by verse every week, every Sunday afternoon until I was about 18 when I left home and moved up here. And because he studied uh, classical Greek and New Testament Greek at university and he spoke New Testament Greek, we went through verse by verse Romans in the original Greek. And don't forget, I was only 15 and it was just him and me. And if I'm honest, I was not massively excited about doing this. It was pretty intense. It was just him and me. And I certainly didn't appreciate what he was doing at the time. But 32 years later, I'm actually really, really grateful for what he did. I'm really grateful for studying Romans verse by verse in the original Greek at the age of 15 and 16. I'm really grateful for that investment in me, even if I didn't really see and grasp the importance of it at the time. Because I'm hopefully now, in turn, able to pass on that same investment to others. I don't speak New Testament Greek, but hopefully some of what I learned then, I'm able now to pass on to others. Now, don't panic. Those of you who go to space, our youth group here at Regent, I'm not going to be suggesting that the space leaders go through Romans with you one-on-one, -on -one, verse by verse, in the original Greek tonight. Don't panic. That's not happening. And I'm sure that the space leaders will be equally glad to hear that that's not what the elders are proposing. But... Nevertheless, it's really important that we do continuously invest in others so that they in turn can invest in others. Disciples make disciples. And it's never too early to start doing that. It's the 222 principle. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. 222, teaching others so that they in turn can teach others. There's loads of discipleship making going on here at Regent and lots of training and investment to, to, uh, into others to teach and to lead in the future. Some of it is just happening naturally as godly people take uh, and naturally take others under their wing and try to help them follow Jesus. And that's fantastic. That's brilliant. Some of it is more structured. It's more official, strategic, if you like, where we as elders assign someone to a younger or newer Christian to disciple them and teach them and in some cases train them. For instance, everyone here at Regent that trusts in Jesus and becomes a Christian uh, works through a 20 session discipleship course for new Christians with another Christian. And if you're on the receiving end of that or some of the other kind of official training and, and discipleship stuff we do at Regent, like I was at 15, you might not fully appreciate what's happening or, or, or be as massively excited about it, but can I encourage you to take what's happening seriously? And if you're one of the young and if you're one of the people that has a role here at Regent in discipling and training and teaching younger or newer Christians, 
then can I say thank you on behalf of everyone here at Regent? Thank you for giving up your time and putting your energy and efforts, giving up spare evenings and weekends and so on, and putting your time and efforts and energy into others so that they can benefit from what you know and what you've experienced of God. And can I encourage you because what you're doing is so important and it's so vital. And you're following in the footsteps of Paul and of Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. You're engaged in that 222 principle, disciples making disciples. Now, having instructed Timothy on one way to prepare the churches he was leading for the present and the future by investing in other men who could be Bible teachers, he then gives, Paul then gives Timothy four ways in which he needs to be prepared for the future in his personal life. And he uses three examples to teach him and us today what that looks like. He uses the picture of how a soldier lives and behaves. And he uses the picture of how an athlete competes. And he uses the picture of how a farmer works really hard. It would be great, wouldn't it, if, if life was a breeze? But the reality is that it isn't. It just isn't. And the Bible is very blunt and honest about this. We shouldn't be surprised when times get tough. It will happen. And Timothy was in the same situation. He was in a really tough position, isolated and alone, very aware of his own weaknesses. And so Paul says to him, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say if you experience hardship, he says endure it. In other words, it's going to happen. So be prepared. Don't forget Paul is chained up in prison as he wrote this. Followers of Jesus need to be ready to endure hardship like good soldiers with Jesus as our commanding officer. We've got little concept, to be honest, of hardship in following Jesus here in the UK church. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to India with a few other guys from the UK on behalf of Echoes International to help some local churches in India. And one of the churches we visited was in an area where the locals were violently, and I mean violently, anti-Christian. And as we went to visit them and encourage them, just by being there was an encouragement for them and do some Bible teaching with them and for them. We were told that we had to be really careful because if the locals realized who we were and what we were doing, then we might get attacked. But also, and probably more importantly, the people in the church there might get attacked or worse. The church wasn't able to sing when they gathered because if they did, their neighbours would hear them and realise what they were doing and probably would attack them. And there was the real risk of death. Here's a picture of the brothers and sisters in this church, just 12 adults and five children. That was the church, just a small group of people. And they were enduring hardship like good soldiers of Christ Jesus. You'll see that I've blurred the faces in order to protect their identity because this video is going to be up on the Internet. So it's important that we protect them if, if, if we can. You know, it's good that we have things like risk assessments here in the UK. We don't want to unnecessarily put people at harm when we run church events and, and so on. But you know, it's probably fair to say that for many churches around the world this morning, even gathering together wouldn't pass a Western style risk assessment. Because gathering together often means a beating or imprisonment and sometimes even death. And yet they still gather. They're prepared to endure hardship. One of the brothers in that picture, when he'd become a Christian, he'd been rejected by his family and beaten up. It's really difficult for us to imagine, isn't it, here in the West, in the UK this morning. 
This was another family in another town who had trusted in Jesus. And then their house had been ransacked and everything stolen because they'd become Christians. Everything had gone and they had no insurance. Sometimes it's going to be tempting to turn our backs upon God and quit the Christian life. I don't know how I would react if I was in those kind of situations there in India. But God is calling us to have endurance like a soldier and to keep going. As a follower of Jesus, I need to be prepared for hardship. Write that on your outline. As a follower of Jesus, we need to be prepared for hardship. Soldiers know that they're going to have to endure hardships. That's part of being a, a soldier. And another aspect of being a soldier is that you're no longer a civilian. When you become a soldier, you give your allegiance to your commander in chief and your life becomes and looks very different to what it used to look when you're on Civvy Street. Paul says to Timothy, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. The word translated involved literally means entwined. When we give our lives to Jesus, he wants us to concentrate on serving him and living for him. And that will mean that we choose to no longer be entwined in the things of this world. It's not saying that we should run off and go and live in a monastery somewhere. We need to be living in the real world. We need to live here and be engaged with the world. Otherwise, how can we have an impact on this world for Jesus? But we mustn't get entwined or tangled up with the things of this life and of this world. There are lots of things in life that are completely legitimate. There's nothing wrong with them until and unless they get in the way of our relationship with God or of us serving God. So, you see, as a follower of Jesus, we need to be focused. I need to be focused. You need to be focused. Write that on your outline. As a follower of Jesus, we need to be focused. There's all sorts of things that will demand our attention, most of them completely legit legitimate. But just as a soldier recognises that he has a new lifestyle, so we as followers of Jesus must recognise that we need to focus on our relationship with Jesus and our service for him in whatever form that service takes. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I do believe that God wants me to say this to you and to me. Keep going. Stay focused and don't give up. It really is worth it. It really will be worth it. Why is it worth it? Well, because Jesus is worth it because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Jesus deserves our focus and our endurance. And just as a soldier wants to please his commanding officer, so too we should want to please our commanding officer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our reward is to know that our commanding officer is pleased with us. That is our reward. We were created. We were planned for his pleasure. Then Paul uses the picture or the example of an athlete to help prepare Timothy and us today for what lies ahead. Paul says to Timothy, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The Bible often likens following Jesus and living for Jesus to being in a race. It's not a race where we compete against each other. That's not the point. It's a race where endurance and focus and discipline are necessary. It's a long distance marathon. And God has given us the rules or the guidelines we need to make it to the finishing line. A long distance runner won't stop off at the local McDonald's drive-thru and have a double quarter pounder with cheese halfway around. I might, I probably would, but a real athlete wouldn't. They know that they need to be disciplined and, and do the things necessary to complete the race. They know they need to breathe properly and be dressed accordingly. They, need, they know they need to take on the right amount of fluids and, and they need to prepare for the race properly. They need to eat well and sleep well. 
They're prepared to deny themselves all kinds of luxuries, which might be nice, but will only slow them down and be a hindrance to them. Jesus tells us what the first rule is if we're going to follow him in this race of life. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The first rule in following Jesus in this race of life, the Christian race, is in denying ourselves and dying to our own agendas and ambitions so that we can follow him. And so as a follower of Jesus, I need to be disciplined. Write that on your outline. As a follower of Jesus, I need to be disciplined. We need to be disciplined. We can't be a disciple of Jesus without discipline. The two words go together, disciple and discipline. Disciples have discipline. But what is discipline? Well, in two words, dis discipline is delayed gratification. Discipline is delayed gratification. Discipline is doing the difficult now in order to enjoy the benefit later. Discipline is a dirty word for most of us, but it's absolutely necessary if we're going to follow Jesus. We need to learn from the example of the athlete. We need to make sure that we're spiritually feeding ourselves with the right kind of stuff. It means setting aside time to spend with God in prayer and in reading the Bible. It might mean turning off the TV. It might mean getting up half an hour earlier. It might mean going to bed earlier so that we can get up in the morning to spend time with God. We need to be disciplined just like an athlete as we face the challenges that life will throw at us. But the great thing is that, is that there is a reward on offer for us when we eventually cross the finishing line. In addition to the forgiveness of sins, the relationship with God and eternal life that we receive when we first put our trust in Jesus right now here on earth. As we live a disciplined life as followers of Jesus, we get what Paul calls the victor's crown. When we finally see Jesus face to face, when he calls us to be with him or when he comes again, whichever happens first. There is the amazing promise of further future rewards in eternity. Above and beyond those we already have in Jesus right now for those that live lives that honour and glorify him. Now, the third example that Paul uses is the hardworking farmer. I've got a few friends who are farmers and it seems it's pretty much impossible to be a farmer and not be hardworking. The two things I just go hand in hand together. If farmers don't work hard, then they have no crops or animals to sell. Farmers only have a harvest if they work hard. It's impossible to be a farmer without hard work. And so Paul says in verse six, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Farmers today have all sorts of equipment to help them. But when Paul and Timothy were alive, farmers had to work almost entirely with their bare hands. But even today, it is still really, really hard work. But at the end of the year, when the harvest comes, the hardworking farmer is rewarded for their efforts because they get to share in the harvest. But only those who work hard get any harvest. And, and, and Paul's point here is about the hard work. Paul's point is that as servants of Christ, we need to work hard. As a follower of Jesus, I need to work hard. You need to work hard. Write that on your outline. As followers of Jesus, we need to work hard. Paul is trying to prepare Timothy for real life and we need to be equally prepared. We need to work hard as we seek to follow Jesus and as we seek to serve him. And the same is true for our church. If we want to see things happen in this church and in our community and region, then we need to work hard. It won't happen on its own. It means making the effort to attend church prayer meetings because it's at church prayer meetings that the spiritual battles are really fought and take place. 
It means getting out of bed on a Sunday morning and getting to church on time. It means putting some of our personal pleasures to one side so that the mission of the church, God's work, can be achieved. It means organising our lives around the church calendar rather than squeezing the church into our personal calendars. Now, there are no shortcuts to personal growth or to church growth. Whether we want to grow ourselves or to see this church grow and one will lead to the other, neither will happen without us having endurance, without being focused, without being disciplined and without working hard. There's no shortcuts in life. But just as the hardworking farmer receives a share of the crops, so the follower of Jesus has the prospect of great and phenomenal rewards in heaven ahead of them for what they do for Jesus. Not satisfied with giving those who trust in Jesus forgiveness, a relationship with God and eternal life. God longs to reward us with even more blessings in eternity when we're with him finally. And so Paul says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Why does Timothy need to pause and reflect and need the Lord's insight into all of this? Why do we need the Lord's insight into all of this? Well, it's not just enough for us to mentally understand what Paul's saying, to kind of get these pictures that he's, he's using this morning. We need to ask the Lord to help us understand deep in our hearts and apply it deeply in our own lives. We don't want to just skip on to the next bit of 2, of two Timothy, uh, the next bit of Paul's letter. We, we need to stop, we need to pause, we need to reflect. We need to think deeply about what Paul and ultimately the Holy Spirit is saying to us. We need to ask the Lord to help us understand what does this mean for us today? So let's do that right now. Let's take a few moments to reflect. Let's not rush ahead and rush on and, and rush into the next thing, whatever that is. Let's reflect and pause and stop. Let's take a few moments to reflect on what the Lord is saying to us. And even after this service is over, can I encourage you to keep on reflecting today and, and, and throughout the week ahead? What does this mean for me? Wherever you are right now, can I encourage you, whether that's here at Regent or at your home or somewhere else in the, around the world perhaps, can I encourage you to bow your head? Close your eyes and bow your head right now and reflect. What is God saying to you this morning? What does this mean for you? Are you prepared? Am I prepared for hardship as a follower of Jesus? Are you focused? Am I focused on Jesus or is my attention on something else or someone else? Are you disciplined for Jesus? Are you working hard for Jesus?